Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Georgia fans. Welcome to episode number 354 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is January 19th, 2015. Happy Martin Luther King Day to everyone. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Got a lot to get to. Tons of questions about the USC football team. We're going to talk about the basketball team. We're going to talk about the national championship, all that kind of stuff. You can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. If you want to send an email, if you want to send a voicemail, you can call us at 206-888-6755, or you go right to our website, peristylepodcast.com, and leave a voicemail on the left side of the page, right from your computer, while we'll Dan Weber coming up a little bit later, and Coach Harvey Hyde right now. What's up, Coach? How you doing? Ryan, I'm doing great, buddy. Uh, great Sunday. Great Sunday of NFL football. I'll tell you, uh, that's one of my favorite days when you have about eight hours of back-to-back football where both teams are really – they got everything on the line. It's championship weekend, as everybody calls it. And, uh, you know, not that Super Bowl isn't a great weekend, but I don't know if anything beats the AFC-NFC championship weekend. I really don't. Now, I'm not talking about the blowout of New England or Seattle's comeback. I'm just talking about an overall Sunday when you have a chance to sit back and watch them play when it really means something. Yeah, that was a really exciting first game. Not so much of an exciting <laughs> second game. Uh, but USC fans that are now Seahawks fans because of Pete Carroll, I think they were pretty happy at the big comeback. And uh, before we jump into it, hey, you want to go to the Super Bowl, you can go to sctickets.com, Southern California Tickets, and they can hook you up, 1-800-888-7287. If you want to go to that game or any other games, Clippers, Lakers, you want to go to Kings, Ducks, stuff like that, Southern California, across the country, you just go to sctickets.com. And they will hook you up. And, uh, Coach, just want to jump into some of these questions here. We got like, There was a lot of stuff been going on. I know it's the offseason, but the national championship game, juniors leaving early, all that kind of stuff. So you, you ready for some questions? I'm ready. All right, here we go. I'll play you a voicemail one first to start off. What's good, Ryan and Coach Hyde? This is Ryan from Birmingham checking in with you. SC fan in SEC country. Got a couple quick key points I wanted to get Coach Hyde's comments on. Um, first of all, congratulations to Buck for making that jump. Um, who do you think takes over at running back? I really like that kid, James Tolan the fourth. Played some mop up duty last year for us. Really solid kid. What are your comments on that? Also, the big decision by George Former. I really don't think there's enough tape on that guy. Uh, he has enough experience, but best of luck to him. As always, go Trojans, fight on. Well, thank you very much uh, for your um, questions, and I think they're good questions as far as now uh, Buck Allen leaving to go to the NFL. Who will be the running back at uh, USC? Well, a lot of people think Trey Madden. A lot of people think uh, Justin Davis. And, of course, there's, as you mentioned, James Tolan. A lot of people don't know who he is. He's number 26. He's a walk-on running back from, I think, Moreno Valley, California, or somewhere out there. And uh, I'll tell you, I like the kid. I think he's really quick. I think he hits the hole really fast. He didn't have a chance really to get in the game when the, when the first unit was there or when it was an important part of the game. But I like him. 
the main thing, too, is, is to make sure that these three guys stay healthy until, of course, the two freshman running back comes uh, come in, and that's Ware and Jones. You talk about Jones. I saw Jones in the All-Star game. I haven't watched a lot of tape on him, but I really like him. I mean, he's explosive. He's somebody that gives them a breakaway threat, a legitimate. If you give him a hole, he's gone. Ware is more – he's not as uh, – uh, fast as Jones, but he's more of a spark plug type of guy, maybe five, nine, 190 pounds. It's very difficult to bring down. And uh, I think both of these kids will will add to the running back situation. I think the number one question mark, will Trey Madden stay well? You know, he's been injured uh, two of the three years he's been there. Great kid, great athlete, just needs to, you know, stay well. And We'll see what happens in the spring. So I think the spring, these three guys will get a lot of turns. And going into fall camp, obviously, one of them will be the leader as far as a starter. Now, as far as George Farmer is concerned, uh, to me, you know, that's really uh, too bad. I really, you know, I really feel bad on the George Farmer situation because this was the number one recruited receiver in the country, a five-star recruit uh, who everyone uh, believed uh, was going to be, you know, one of the best ever at USC. Obviously, you heard me say this last week. I think it was this show. I'm not sure. But uh, down at the Holiday Bowl, they had a race. They all lined up and raced to see who was the fastest. Trojan and George Farmer won that race. So to lose a kid where is now he's ready to come out is absolutely uh, devastating. I, I, You know, I think the things that were key on that, I think he's healthy didn't play much, didn't catch a lot of balls, especially in the Holiday Bowl. He caught one pass, and uh, he got discouraged. He said, now you're bringing in two JC guys. We're going to go through the same thing again. Three freshmen are coming in. Uh, I don't want to rotate. I don't want to take a chance of getting hurt because I'm just rotating. I'm not coming in warm into the game. And if I haven't proved that I, my touchdown catches and what I've done, that I'm the number one guy, that uh, then I'm out of here. And I think that's what happened. I think it became an emotional decision. But as I've mentioned before, I think it hurt the Trojans on the defensive side of the football. I really do. And you say, how? Because I really felt Juju Smith could go over on the defensive side of the football, which he was willing to do, and really give the defense a lift, especially as an outside linebacker like Suva Craven. I mean, if you'd had Juju Smith and Craven outside, that would have given you the type of matches, matchups you need against these athletic quarterbacks. I mean, they can run as fast as they can, and they can cover guys out of the backfield. And uh, I just think that was devastating as far as what happened to USC. Uh, I feel bad about that. Uh, he's gonna. He's decided to go, but I think that was an emotional decision. And uh, I want to wish him the best because he's a good kid. His parents are good kids, are good people. Let's say that way. But I, I wish he'd have stayed. I wish they'd have pampered him a little bit more and gave him more of an opportunity and sort of sat down and explained to him. And maybe they did. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I don't know how much they tried to keep him, but explain to him about the junior college kids coming in and he is the number one guy, which, you know, how can you say he's not? And I know Darius Rogers is a great player and Steve Mitchell is, but it was his turn. Let me tell you, it was his turn. Uh, Coach Melvin had that kind of same question, why you think Farmer left for the draft rather than stay one more year to develop his skills. And I agree with you what you were saying as far as, you know, there were some injury concerns. Um, you know, 
there's no guarantee that he would come back and be the starter. Would Juju Smith be the number one guy? Would the JC transfers come in and, and get ahead of him? Um, but there is a concern that, you know, he was a five-star recruit, but never really, you never really saw that kind of uh, production while he was at USC. Now, Notre Dame, he caught two long touchdown passes. You're like, hey, where's this been the whole time? I mean, is it a thing where he showed what he could do at Notre Dame and then didn't get a chance during the, the Holiday Bowl? And it's just like, you know what? I don't want to go through a whole nother year of this, and, and I think it's best to just go because it doesn't seem likely he would be drafted. And the experts that I talked to said, no, unless he like blows it up at a combine, which he probably won't even be invited to the NFL combine. He'd have to do it at the USC Pro Day. Um, but it doesn't seem like he's going to have a real opportunity to kind of show the potential teams to draft him what he can do. He's going to have to really sign as a free agent and kind of prove it that way. But that's, that's not a, a, an easy road either. Well, you're exactly right. But, you know, you got to look at the history of this kid. Yes, he was hurt a couple of years. But his first year, they burned a redshirt year on him with one play on a, uh, a, a fly sweep. I mean, really. Uh, first of all, when you think as a father, you think as a son, you burn my redshirt year that was under Lane Kiffin for one play. I mean, that's that's a waste of talent, I would say. And, and that would sit wrong with me as a player and a parent. Then he was injured, which, you know, you can't do anything about that. But was he ever given the buildup that he deserved? You and I have stood at practice, and he, look, you're standing right next to Juju Smith and those other. He's big, he's strong, and you know as well as I do he's had a great fall camp. He had a great fall camp. I mean, as good as anybody. But he was never in the conversation much. Never in the conversation. Not much praise. Not but much talk about him. And you've heard me talk about the entire year, your players have got to be on the field. And was there really a need to play Juju Smith on offense? If I'm a parent and I'm George Farmer, I say, this kid could have gone either way. We needed him on defense. Why did they put him on offense? Not that he didn't have a great year and he's a great player, but as a kid and a parent, you think about, what do you think of my abilities? You don't think I'm a great player? He never had a chance to prove he was a great player, really. This is the way I look at this, and I can see why he's thinking about going out, because his feelings have been hurt. Think about a kid, an 18, 19, 20-year-old kid. Your feelings get hurt when you're overlooked and you've been busting your butt all summer and you've been busting your butt all fall and during the camps and during the season, and you only get certain rotations. So, you know, I think players have got to be on the field. You've got to be in the conversation. And I never thought he was in the conversation and last year, Darius Rogers sort of fell out of the conversation. So, you know, I think, and then when you see two JC kids coming in, and you know you have a lot of freshmen coming in, and Rashad Johnson, where they play him offensively or defensively, and you got Stevie Mitchell, and on and on and on, you start to think, is this going to happen again? And they've opt out to leave. They, you know, it's more or less saying, I'll see you later. Yeah, well, see, I mean, it, there's fewer juniors this year but i mean two of them uh daniel jeremiah who we've had on the podcast before came out with his top 50 players and he had leonard williams number one and, and aguilar number 40 so that would be a second rounder so I, it's hard to argue with with those two guys going and buck allen would have his own reasons being 23 year olds and stuff too but the george farmer thing kind of a unique uh situation there we'll see uh what happens but it does it does seem to happen a lot to usc players and um Coach, Ed Duncan actually sent in a, a voicemail. It was too long, Ed. Sorry, we, we're not going to be able to play it. But um, I'll give you the gist of what he was saying. He said that uh, with Farmer leaving, 
Um, do you think that now that schools are offering four-year scholarships that players should be bound to stay at the school for four years? He said that a lot of the NFL and NBA players, you know, within a couple of years after retirement end up going broke. He thinks it's it's actually cheating the athletes to let them leave uh, college early. I, I don't necessarily agree with that because I think you should be able to do what you want. But uh, what what are your thoughts on that from Ed Duncan? Well, you know, I like the idea, but I think it's a legal thing where you can't stop someone from going out and making a a living. Uh, it's a, some type of legal issue where the NCAA has said, as a junior, you have to be at least a junior, or redshirt, sophomore, whatever, to be able to uh, to come out early. So it's a legal type of thing. But I've always agreed with that. I, I really think that uh, that there should be a penalty if you come out early. I think kids would think more about should I leave or not leave. I think uh, if you have something to lose from the university when you leave, you would think more about leaving. What I mean by that, should I really leave, such as pay back a year of tuition or pay back your entire tuition but you left early and you didn't complete your obligation. Uh, there are ways, I think, that you would help the student-athlete by having these type of stipulations in the NCAA scholarship uh, statement so that a kid has to really consider, is it really worth, am I going to make enough money, is it really worth it for me to leave college and maybe never come back and get my degree, plus maybe pay back part of my scholarships that they've given me, uh, like a minor league uh, program. Uh, so I've always mentioned that because it's, it's, it's something like a marriage, you know. Uh, uh, you know, okay, uh, we signed this letter of intent. We're, we're here. We're here to take care of you. We want you to get a degree. We want you to graduate from college. And you don't talk about the NFL. It's not supposed to be going to college and playing the NFL, but it's become that. Where's my best opportunity to play first? Where's my best opportunity to get to the NFL? Because of the money involved. But I think you've got to make it a more sensible type of decision rather than I'm just leaving. Uh, Stop and think about if I'm leaving, what am I leaving and what is my consequences? So uh, I I agree with Ed there. How it can be put together, I don't know. But uh, I agree, Ed. I, I think that you shouldn't just be able to pack your bags one day and say, I'll see you later. All right. Uh, Marcel in Diamond Bar, really kind of quick question. Is it me or is Michigan hiring a lot of former USC coaches? And then said, no one wanted Justin Wilcox with a little smiley face there. So a little a little hate on Justin Wilcox there from Marcel. Uh, Justin Wilcox is uh, USC's defensive coordinator coach. Well, you know, uh, Jim Harbaugh knows what he wants, and he's putting together a great staff, and they're going to be something to reckon with because he's a great coach. I I just consider him a great coach. Uh, Right now I want to wish the San Francisco 49ers the best of luck because we have a lot of San Francisco 49er fans, including Mark Willard, who used to be on ESPN. He's a real 49er fan. But uh, I think they're going to be hurting up there, okay? So – uh, I, I don't think they direct towards USC. First of all, I've always said that USC is one of the premier jobs in college football. So they should have the best assistant coaches in the country. Uh, they should have people wanting to hire their coaches as head football coaches or coordinators 
and giving them a promotion. If they don't have those type of coaches there, then they got the wrong group because it's the best job in America, I think. That couple of elders, you know, we have a lot of people that are different, uh, you know, Ohio State fans and Alabama fans, which is in the same situation, don't get me wrong. But their assistant coaches should uh, have produced at USC where people want you to come in and do the same thing at their university. Now, Tim Drevo had always coached with Jim Harbaugh at University of San Diego at the San Francisco 49ers, wanted to get back in college. And, of course, when he the Michigan, Michigan job came in, I'm sure he got a big pay raise, plus the title as offensive, I think, coordinator. So he gets a nice title along with it. And he knows, Harbaugh knows he knows the offense, but it's going to be the same offense they've always run. So he can give him the title along with a pay raise because maybe someday he'll become a head coach faster that way. But now he's more in the limelight. Yep. And John Baxter, John Baxter was unemployed, but Harbaugh played against John Baxter uh, when he was the special teams coach at USC. And if anything about John Baxter, he overdoes it. Not that he doesn't do the job. I think sometimes he overdoes the job. Too much kicking, too many two-point plays, too much shifting, too many gadgets in the special teams. If anything, he overdoes it. So you got to tone him down. And you got to tell him exactly what you want him to do, and he'll be a great coach. So, yeah, and he's not targeting USC. He's targeting where he thinks great coaches are, and that's who he's going after. So, Tyrone Whitley, what a great match that's going to be for Michigan. You've got to hire people that are great coaches from the school that that's from Michigan. Now, USC, I don't think, has a staff member from USC on it. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Ryan. I don't want to say things I'm not sure of. Steve Sarkeesian was there for briefly, right? Wasn't it like That's right. Steve Sarkeesian yeah. was there as a baseball player, right? Yeah, like very briefly, I believe. Briefly. But what I mean is I'm not saying anything against the staff at USC. Don't don't get me so wrong. Hate, what I'm saying staff, when I coach. went <laughs> to when I went to UNLV, I made sure I hired a graduate of UNLV who played football there. If nothing else, to keep the alumni of my football, when a guy came to practice, he knew who he was. Or if some coach came to practice, he knew who he was. I mean, uh, some of the older coaches might come to practice at USC or some of these universities, and nobody on the field even knows who these guys are. So I think it's important to have someone on your staff that has that relationship with the past and has played there and knows what it's all about to be a Wolverine, or a Trojan. So and, and he's played there himself, Jim Harbaugh. Now to bring in Tyrone Whitley, not only does he get him, he'll probably get his son, who's a great player. And uh, that just adds to the list of reasons why you hire him. So uh, uh, that's why I think the staff situation comes about, because if you have great assistant coaches, you know, people are going to want them. People recognize what's going on. If they don't offer your coaches anything, then, you better worry about what's surrounding you. All right. Uh, that was Marcel. Jamal had a question. He said, while watching the Seahawks and Packers game, I noticed that at times Green Bay was in a pistol formation and had a fullback on Aaron Rodgers' left side. He would lead block for Eddie Lacy. Why doesn't USC – he's the running back. Why doesn't USC incorporate Soma Vanuku or Jalil Pinner – in the same sort of format. Got to use 
Selma more than just special teams. That's from uh, Charles and, and Carson. And um, Jamal had a question, too. It was like on the same lines. Ryan and Coach, we have two good fullbacks. What, are those, what in the world is Sark going to do with them? If he isn't going to use them, can he put them into another position? They're taking up two scholarships, and they're not really playing from Jamal. So there's a couple questions there, Coach, on the fullback situation. Well, if you remember at the beginning of the season last year, I've always said that they should be using more of a two-back type of offense. You've heard me say this all the time, uh, not just uh, as a you know blocker, but it's not bad to have two great running backs in the game at the same time, too. makes it real difficult for the defense, not that you don't have great receivers at USC, but you know, you've got to be able to uh, have a, a series where you do have a power type of offense where you do lead with your fullback, and then you have counters off of that, which start off like you're going to follow your quarterback and you go the other way, like a counter sweep or trap. And then you actually run your fullback, too. If you remember, the Green Bay Packer fullback scored yesterday. Yep. A big, strong kid that you'll be able to run up the middle when you need short yardage in certain type of actions where, where it's tough to key on your running back or key on the football, uh, the fullback, but you go away from it. You do go towards it, but you go away from it too, and you also have great play action off of it. Uh, I've heard you've heard me talk about series, 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 Charles and Jamal. You got to have series that off this run you have this counter, you have this play action pass, you have this bootleg. You got to have series. So if they do this, I do that. You hear me talk about this all the time. So, yes, I believe that it's very important to be able to have that type of formation, utilize your type of Anukus, Pinner, these type of guys like, like you know, teams do, like you mentioned Green Bay did, and uh, utilize them into your offense where, be, where you become a more physical type of football team. You know, I'm going to give you, give you a little bit of a story, and, and I don't know if I should be doing this on the air, but uh, I'm not going to give names or anything, but uh, an Ohio State player made the quote that after the, this is off the field in a private conversation, that after the Alabama game, I was beat up. I was sore. It took me a couple of days to get the soreness out of me. They hit you. I mean, they were physical. That was a football game. Old-fashioned physical football game, which is me. After the Oregon game, I wasn't banged up at all. I wasn't, it wasn't as physical. I mean, I wasn't sore. I didn't have bruises on my body. I didn't hobble. So there's ways of playing football where you have to be physical. It's called intimidation. It's called, if it's fourth and one, hey, are you telling me we're not going to get it? If it's third and two, you're telling me we're not going to get it. And how many third and two situations that were critical when USC passed the football. Nothing against it. They made a lot of them. But you got to be able to line up and smash mount somebody. you got to be able to teach your running backs to run like Elliott and some of these guys. So, you know, I'm, not, I'm just saying you got to be physical. you got to be physical. And I think the new offensive line coach, whoever that may be at USC, has got to come in. But it all starts with the head coach as far as his philosophy. Do, your, do you want to be physical? Do you want to knock somebody off the ball? Uh, and they follow the lead of their coaches. Watch Urban Myers on the sideline, please. Is he in the game? 
Is he physical on the sideline? He's physical on the sideline. <laughs> if you watch him, I don't know if anybody agrees with me, but he's playing every play. If you know what I'm saying, he's not thinking about. It. He's ready to hit somebody, and I think your team follows your personality on the way they play, and that's why I'll answer that question. All right, uh, we got one more voicemail question for you, Coach, uh, about the defensive side of the ball. Here you go. Ryan, Trojan Bub, longtime listener. I have a question for Coach Harvey Hyde. Uh, the Ohio State game demonstrated the old adage, defense wins championships. Uh, that coupled with a, a physical defense and a physical running game, I think that's really the key to a successful program. What can USC do to improve uh, being more physical and improve their attitude so they can bring it every day, every play? Well, that's almost exactly what I just explained. <laughs> but uh, it is. He has the right attitude. Now, the, this, this caller recognizes what I recognize. And uh, I think, first of all, on the defensive side of the football, you can't be so vanilla. I think you've got to be able to take chances. I think you've got to be able to confuse the offensive line and the quarterback. You've got to give him something to look at. He can't just come out and think, well, this is going to happen every single down. I think you've got to utilize your speed. You've got to do twists. You've got to do all kinds of blitzes. You've got to bring your linebackers. You've got to drop your guard off and let him cover. You've got to do a lot of different things. So they have to prepare for more type of defensive alignments and more type of defensive stunts and blitzes than just coming, this is what they do. I think you have to be more aggressive. You've heard me say it and use this term over and over and over. I used to tell my defensive defensive coaches and also when I was a defensive coordinator, hey, we can play offense on defense. We can score as many ways as the offense can on defense. We can intercept a pass. We return a, a, a pick up a fumble. We can score two. Let's don't sit back and just play defense. Let's see what we can make happen. And I think you've got to play with an attitude of let's make something happen. Let's get out there and destroy. Let's get out there and hit. Let's fly around and uh, let's have fun. You've got to have fun on defense. And plus that, it rests your defensive front when you're flying around more than when you just defend, de- de- depend on your defensive front to do all the rush all the time. So uh, I think that's part of an attitude of a defensive coordinator and a head coach saying, hey, we're going to get after it. We're going to get after them. We're going to make things happen on defense. We're going to be aggressive. We might take chances, but if we go after them, you guys know we got to get there. And I think you got to play that way. All right, thanks for that, Coach. Uh, one last one for you. It's from Tarek. Pretty simple question. Do you believe USC can win it all next year? You know, uh, uh, you know, this is a, a, not a difficult question to answer. It's very easy for me. Well, I had a chance last week to be with, I'm not going to name, but the Nebraska coaches, a couple of them, okay? And you remember Kenny Bell, the receiver for Nebraska, made a statement after the game. He said, he said, that was the greatest group of athletes we played against the whole year. You've heard me say all along I wouldn't change the roster with anybody. You've heard me say that uh, at USC. Even if it's 57, you've heard me it's the best 57, okay? You've heard me say that 100 times. 
I asked them that question. I said, let me ask you something. One of your players made this statement. I'm going to ask you the same question. Looking at their roster and playing against USC, is that the best roster you've seen the entire year? And they said, absolutely. That was the answer. Absolutely. Now, I'm not going to tell you who said it or when it was or any of that, but it was person to person. It wasn't on the telephone. So, uh, what was the damn question? <laughs> Can USC win it all? Oh, okay. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you get me going. You know? I know, Coach. That's all right. That's what's fun. And I, and I say things that, that people like to hear that they don't hear about, they don't read about. So, and uh, anybody can win it all, but you got to be lucky. You got to have people come through. You got to play. But you got to be careful, too, building up your team too fast about next year. And I'm very concerned, and I told someone at USC that I'd be very careful on talking about we're going to be very good next year. We're going to be very, very good next year. We're going to be very, very good this year, next year. Well, I'll tell you, that could cost you your job. Because if you aren't very, very good next year, everyone thinks you should have been very, very good then all of a sudden, uh, things aren't too good. I I would not approach next season saying that because I think it uh, does not – you get your players thinking about how good you're going to be, and I don't know how hard they're going to work. I would say we can work and we can be pretty good, but I'm not going to say how good you're going to be. So uh, I think they'll be good because they have great players. To win it all, you got to be lucky to win it all. What are you talking about? You got to be in the right type of frame of mind. You can't have any injuries. You got to be able to, you know. So can I say they can win it all? I'm not going to say anybody can win it all. How many people thought Ohio State would win it all this year? I don't know. They they barely made the final four. People were complaining they made it. <laughs> yep. You know what I mean? They said TCU should have been in there, Baylor or somebody. So you got to be uh, lucky. And you got to be good too, and you got to get the breaks, and win the close games. And if everything goes right, yes, you can. Uh, but I don't want to. I'm not going on the limb and saying they're going to win it all. I'm not going to go out and say they're going to win the Pac-12. You're not going to hear me quoting that, because there's a lot of teams out there that will prove you wrong because you're saying that. And it just added fuel to the fire. So I'd be very careful. All right. Well, Coach, great stuff as always. Appreciate you coming on and uh, talking about the USC Trojans. And it's Martin Luther King Day. I'll leave you with a quote for some of the – we had some some better questions this week. It wasn't as much hate uh, we've had before. He said, I, and Martin Luther King said, I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too big of a burden to bear. Um, so we'll, we'll try to do a kinder, gentler version of the Peristyle podcast going forward. Moving on, looking for some positives, looking into next season with recruiting and all that kind of stuff. So, Coach, again, thanks very much for coming on. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. And, uh, everyone, keep your questions coming. That's what makes the show. And, uh, Ryan, thank you very much. Thank you. And everyone else, back in a minute, we're going to talk to uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. 
Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. Oh, man. What's wrong? It's my marketing guy. I can't get in touch with him, and I'm still waiting on simple website changes to get done. Who are you using? Uh, Some cheap and easy website company. I just can't get results. It's so frustrating. I never had that problem with my marketing company. I use Circle Marketing. They're always available, very friendly, and do great work. My business has seen improvements. They handled my website, online ads, and much more. Go to CircleMarketing.com and see if they're right for you. CircleMarketing.com, huh? Well, I'll go there right now. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back on the Peristyle Podcast. We have uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber joining the show. What's up, Dan? How you doing, man? Not, 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 I guess there isn't a lot going on right now other than recruiting. Yeah, recruiting. Uh, <laughs> and some all-star games, I guess. Uh, we had... Uh, J.R. Tavai looked pretty good Friday, and I guess uh, Josh Shaw had a, had a big effort in the East-West game uh, Saturday. So, uh, so you have a you know, little alumni stuff going on, but, uh, but that's about it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we'll see that the winter workouts are, should be starting up soon. They're, they're doing some brief ones with a few players led by Juju Smith, which is kind of nice to see a, an 18-year-old kind of take a leadership role and just try. He's just trying to get a couple of quarterbacks to come out and throw with him and some walk-ons and stuff. So that that's kind of good to see, but they should start soon. Like the full kind of team winter workouts. If you remember last year, Dan, they didn't really do any of those or, or hardly any of those because they had the cha- new coaching staff and they really weren't sure what to do. It wasn't until the summer they got things cranked up, but I expect some, some good, you know, fully attended winter workouts coming up pretty soon too. Yeah. I think actually they had, and one, <laughs> and then yeah. and that was it. Uh, they basically last winter, the emphasis was on uh, on weightlifting. Spent a lot more time on the lifting and the, and the conditioning stuff, and they wanted to get that right. And uh, figured, you know, we'll just just concentrate on that. And uh, they made up for it in the summer. I thought they had then they after spring ball they did have the best summer workouts we we'd ever seen by far. Uh, so we'll see uh, if that carries over what we saw last summer into this winter. Uh, uh, I'm thinking probably yes, but but we'll see. Okay, uh, well definitely will. And you know, it's there isn't a lot really going on with the team, not a lot going on. But we still are getting a lot of questions rolling into the podcast. So I guess that's a good thing. People are still interested in. And kind of want to know what's uh, going on. Some people talking about the national championship game, about the team. So I guess we'll just jump into the questions, Dan, and uh, and see where we go. Um, yeah, I can understand that. You know, because in some ways, uh, you know, we're we're doing things like uh, you know ESPN comes up with their way too early top twenty-five, uh, and has USC number four, where has that's like the key number if you're going to you know, talk about where are you in the college football, you know, hierarchy. If you're number four, you're in the playoffs. And I think that shocked, you know, uh, you know, fans and, and non-fans of USC to see, uh, you know, with uh, uh, TCU, Ohio State, and I guess Baylor was, was third. And there's USC fourth. You know, they uh, finished 20th and end up getting bumped by the ESPN people to, to number four. 
I guess the other thing that's happening right now is uh, they're putting out all the the list of Heisman candidates, and uh, Cody Kessler basically is is in the top five on every single list. Which again, I think people are going, "Wow, huh, that's interesting." So there are those kinds of things, you know, looking down the road that can have people kind of you know paying attention to the USC program and kind of excited about the possibilities even after, you know, some of the deflating situations that happened this year and some of the worries you, uh, and, and the fact that USC lost more on, uh, early entry guys leaving with the four, I guess four, I think in the PAC 12, there were only 16 that left. I think 75 nationally, uh, are going out 16 in the PAC 12, but four from USC. So, Probably took as big a hit or bigger hit, you know, than anybody in the country there. So, uh, you know, some conflicting kind of, you know, things that make you feel real good and things that make you wonder what, you know, what are the, you know, the consequences of losing, you know, four guys, uh, you know, on a roster that's still not completely and not going to be completely, you know, up to 85 next year. All right. Well, we will see. It's going to be an interesting offseason. And uh, we'll just jump into these questions, Dan, and kind of see what the, the fans want to know. Uh, okay. We'll start with Terrian. He said, Oregon's loss reminded me of something Marcus Allen said during the turbulent 2013 year. He said that USC had to get back to the foundation of its past success. Strong athletic players being physical and an offense based on running the football. He said that although Oregon's up-tempo fast uh, attacking style has been successful during the season. It has mostly failed them in top bowl games and stronger physical teams who can run the ball and have the time to, and have the time to prepare for them. Monday's game appeared to reflect this. Your thoughts, Terry? Well, you know, I think it might have been a different game had they not run out of players. I mean, I think they, uh, the fact that, uh, say Oregon shows up with their best tackle, with their, uh, uh, tight end, their best tight end, uh, with three of their five wide receivers who were hurt. If they don't drop the ball, you might have had a chance to get that game going in a different direction. But Ohio State is the perfect kind of team, and it, and it kind of reminded you of some of the, of the USC teams where they had you know, enough absolute athletes who were bigger, big enough and tough enough, and they could run you know, the defensive linemen that could run the Oregon guys down. Those kind of players that, uh, you know, you haven't seen it coming out of the Big Ten in, in a good while. And, and that's, the, you know, the genius of Urban Meyer. And, uh, you know, having been in the, the SEC and knowing, uh, you know, what kind of players you absolutely have. I mean, he gets a Joey Bosa out of, uh, you know, Fort Lauderdale. You know, guys like that who change the dynamic of, of say, an Ohio State team. An Ohio State team that very much like USC kept getting better and better and better and believing in itself and, and what it was doing. So, had, you know, had Oregon been full strength, uh, you know, it might have been somewhat a different game. I don't, you know, would have, would it would have turned around enough? I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, I think Oregon has to do what Oregon does, and that's they're probably never going to have enough big-time um, offensive linemen, for example, no matter how good that program goes. You are governed by, you know, some of it by the, you know, geography and demography and what's available. Uh, but, uh, but I think it showed you the, you know, the way 
USC could and should go. And I, I think Marcus is always right when he says that should be, uh, especially the you know the hallmark of a USC team, uh, physical and able to run the football. Certainly, you would have to think that's got to be the case next year. Although, you know, there were times this year, if you watch, say the, uh, say the Patriots, what they do offensively, you would say, you know, that might not be the worst way to go if you have to go that way in certain games where you, um, you know, you basically turn the ball over to your quarterback and your receivers um, and uh, and see what happens. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I agree with Marcus completely. Uh, all right, on that same theme, Erlen West L.A., he says, I think it's safe to say that the playoffs are here to stay. And so in Smash and so is Smash Mouth football. Somebody has got to explain to me how Cardell Jones can look like a pulling guard, run like a fullback, and throw like a quarterback while only being good enough to be third string quarterback with three stars uh, it, with three starts on his resume. The conference championship, national semifinals, and national championship game. Oh, by the way, he wins all three games. Does anybody remember who Braxton Miller and JT Barrett are? I was really pulling for Oregon because it appears the Pac-12 will be considered soft until a team other than USC can win a national title. The Ducks sure looked soft tonight. Is this more perception or reality, Earl in West L.A.? Well, I don't know the Pac-12 considered soft. I thought I saw, for example, at the end of the year, uh, ESPN uh, had them number one, uh, and they had you know kind of flipped between the, the SEC. Then they actually went to the Big Twelve. Uh, a week or two there toward the end of the year. But the way the year played out, they, uh, you know, statistically determined that the Pac-12 was uh, was the best conference overall. So I think that – I don't think the Oregon game will, uh, you know, determine in terms of, you know, conference, uh, you know, sense of the conference. And if you looked at, again, ESPN's top 25 for the next year, I think there's six Pac-12 teams in there. So – I think I don't think the conference uh, takes, you know, that much of a hit for the uh, uh, for the Oregon game. I, there were some specific things about that game uh, that we talked about that, you know, and mostly it was Ohio State. And, and what you're saying is, what kind of a job are you doing recruiting? If you have the ability, you know, I used to say, uh, you know, if, if your backup quarterback can win a game, you've really done a good job. I don't think we've ever even considered the possibility of your backups, backups being able to win. Oh, not just the game, the Big Ten championship game, the uh, uh, semifinal game, and the championship game. Uh, it's interesting, as people were pointing out, um, Cardell Jones has never played a home game in Columbus. <laughs> He's never played a true road game yet. He's played three neutral site playoff games, basically. That's crazy. Uh, I mean, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's unheard of. It, it's, it's never happened before in the history of college football. Never will happen again. Um, and, you know, he's uh, one of those kids that they took a chance on. And he certainly, you know, for a couple of years, probably didn't look like they'd made a very good, uh, very good bet, like, kind of like USC – with uh, with another Cleveland kid, you know, Andre Walker. And, and, you know, come out of a program where you're maybe not that coached up all that much and has a lot of talent. And you really do wonder which way the you know, kid's going to go. 
and um, Cardell Jones saw his opportunity. And uh, but think about that. Somebody said Ohio State had three quarterbacks better than any quarterback in the SEC. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you want to make you know comparisons, and that is driving them crazy in the SEC when they think about that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's a. Uh, you know, if you looked at just uh, what he did, and I think what, what Ohio State, this is where you got to give them all the assistance and everybody credit, that they figured out what could we do with him without giving anything up, without making it too complicated, uh, and yet knowing we have to really make plays against really good teams uh, to win, and they went after it. I mean, they didn't, you know, as, as our guys like to say, turtle up. They went and they attacked you with a third-string quarterback who hadn't played before. That's just amazing. And that's the that's the best coaching job you know I've ever seen. I don't even think there's I can think of a close second. I mean Pete was great, but the challenge of doing that under the the pressure they were under it's impossible almost. So so yes, they got they've done a great job at Ohio State. It's I mean, putting Urban Meyer at Ohio State is very much like, I think, putting John Calipari at Kentucky. <laughs> yeah. you know, it, 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 there you go. I mean. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, talent, great coaching, and uh, you're going to see the results there. So it'll be interesting to watch. There could be some USC-Ohio State battles down the road. Um, along the same lines, Dan, Lee wrote in, I wonder, and then Steve had a, a kind of question. I'll read them both to you. Uh, you can have all the speed and talent at the skill positions, but if your offensive and defensive lines are not great, championships will never be achieved. USC's return to greatness depends on the recruiting of uh, speed, size, and strength. Football is a game of will and determination. Oregon is definite proof that flash and dash has its merits, but Ohio State proved that running the football and dominating your opponent wins championships. Uh, that's from Lee. And then Steve said, to beat Oregon and reclaim the Pac-12 dominance, Please note football is a physical game. Oregon is soft. Your defense is soft. Please change that, USC. That's from Steve. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. You've got to attack people. You've got to make plays. I mean, I thought the genius of Pete's defense is, you know, they were quick and athletic. And for some of us at times, probably played way too much uh, Ben Don't Break and Tampa 2 and all of that. But when they needed to make plays, they made plays. I mean, you know, only if they didn't have any players out on the field, you know, like the Texas game where they ran out of players, uh, then, you know, they didn't have anybody to make plays. But they were able to make plays when they had to make plays. I think what we saw last year on defense, just not enough ability on those end-of-game drives to make plays. Guys didn't seem to either know what to do or weren't allowed to do it, or whatever was going on. But the let's just hold on here, let's just hold on here didn't work, uh, and that has to change. They have to be able to make uh, game-winning plays on defense, and they have to be able to run the ball on offense so the other team doesn't have it at the end to make game-winning plays. I mean, the two work together, and we didn't see enough of either. And that has to change. I can't say it enough. That's all about physicality and toughness and confidence. And uh, where you don't go out and try to fool people, you just try to, you know, physically impose your will on them. 
You have to be able to do it. USC, when it's been good, has always been able to do that. That's the model. You know, Ohio State showed you exactly. I mean, I think that's one of the the great things about what Ohio State did. They showed you, okay, they look like a USC team. That's what USC should look like. Yeah. There you go. Um, one more on the championship game. Frank at Sacramento, he said, one, the committee who picked the final four teams did a tremendous job. And two, the Buckeyes went three for three on fourth down conversions, which killed Oregon. Any thoughts? Again, there's your physical physicality and, and, and going for it, not, you know, playing it safe. I think you saw what happens when you play it safe yesterday. Uh, you're Green Bay. You kick the field goal on fourth and one. Whoops. Yeah. Wouldn't you like that touchdown back? Uh, a chance to go for it? Uh, so I think you got to go for it at this level. Uh, it's just it's too important. Uh, and you got to have the confidence to be able to go for it. Maybe it won't always work, but I think that's, you got to say this is who we are. Uh, we're going for it. Say it to your players and uh, that you trust them. And you have to trust yourself. You have to trust yourself that, yes, we're going to get it. And uh, Ohio State did, and Green Bay didn't. Yeah, and that's what—that's the result there. So it'll be interesting. I think USC fans were very uh, clued, you know, cued into that game, and I think now they're looking at what this USC team is going to do. Uh, I think they're going to keep that game in mind, especially with Oregon on the schedule the next uh, couple of years. So let's get into some USC questions, Dan. Okay, um, well, I just think it too oh, to tie that in. If you looked at what was so impressive. <clears throat> with Ohio State, not just the quarterback, but an offensive line, no one could name any of those players. I think they had three three-stars, two four-stars, but one of them was a defensive lineman. Uh, and look at what they did. Look at how, how, they, how much better they – I mean, this is a team that lost early in the year to Virginia Tech. And how much better they got, how much they believed in themselves, and how physical they were. And, uh, and uh, I mean, I – I don't know if they hit anybody as highly ranked as maybe the fifth or sixth guy on USC's offensive line right now. You know, I mean, I think, I think there's a lesson there that, uh, you know, this USC offensive line could be, you know, the key in, in terms of physicality, in terms of setting the tone. And uh, we'll see how that, how that goes. But uh, I think uh, Ohio State, again, amazing job for you know, a bunch of kids who were not considered all that super special. All right. Uh, well, we're going to talk about some of the the holes in this team and, and where they can get more physical with some of the questions that we have. Uh, Melvin wrote in, and uh, looking at the depth chart, and we put up that scholarship distribution chart on uscfootball.com if you guys want to check that out. kind of shows where all the, the potential holes are and, and where they kind of need to fill in spots. He said, it appears USC is thin at defensive line and at linebacker uh, in terms of the future. Do you agree? And if so, do you think USC's gathered enough recruits for 2015 to fill defensive line and linebacker spots? I think linebacker you know, seems to be one, one place where maybe yes. Uh, uh, defensive line, I think, I mean, I think they're okay for you know, 2015. Uh, in terms of numbers, uh, with Kenny Bigelow coming back, I do wonder if there's any chance of looking at someone on the offensive line as a potential 
move to a, a defensive lineman. I mean, they're they're going to have the numbers on the offensive line. Uh, I, I, I would I take a look at it anyway with one or two guys and see if uh, you know going forward that would be better for them and for and for USC. But uh, I, I think you know the defensive line holds up pretty decently next year. But I think the thing we have to look at, and I know a, a lot of guys look at it kind of like fantasy football, where it's it's just a lot of individual pieces, and you just put them in. And to me, I think the, the key with this USC defense is what do they do as a team? Do they stand around and wait for people uh, and let things develop and just try to, you know, totally be reactive? Or do they go after and try to take people you know, out of their game. And I think that's that's really, you know, we're hoping that year two you see some real development in terms of team defense and coordination and confidence and not a sense of, uh-oh, what are we going to do now? You know, that, you know, but more of an ability to attack people and cause them problems and take them, you know. So th- I think that's the, the future of this defense. And, you know, I think it's easy to say, well, you lose, you know, you lose this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy, you can't possibly be as good. And, you know, I don't necessarily buy into that just because you could be better with your schemes, your game planning, your confidence, your comfort level and what you're doing. You could be doing the right things now. Uh, so that would be that would be my sense. You, you wouldn't have to be as talented, let's say, a USC defense at the end, say against Utah, if you just did the right thing, or against Arizona State, if you did the right thing. So you may not have maybe a player quite as talented in a particular spot, but if he's doing the right thing, uh, you might be better. So I think that's uh, that's what I think you have to look for in terms of developing this USC defense going forward. Uh, next question kind of along the same lines, too. Um, he said, I've been listening to the podcast for the past two years now, and would like to thank you and your team for all the good inside information about USC football. You're very welcome. Uh, it was I was looking at the scholarship distribution chart, and the lack of depth at the defensive tackle position specifically seemed glaring to me, especially for the 2016 season. Most of the defensive tackles are seniors, and after 2015, that would mean we would have to have a very inexperienced defensive line. Do you, do you or Dan have any thought about whether there are any plans to re, to place uh, uh, any plans in place to alleviate these concerns? And shouldn't Coach Sark have concentrated on recruiting defensive tackles instead of a plethora of cornerbacks and wide receivers? That's Suhas. I think that's how he said S U H A S. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, I think it's a legitimate question. I, I don't think there's any, you know, and I, I think the difference in the Pac-12 is you better have cornerbacks because almost everybody's going to have a quarterback and receivers, you know, quarterback who can throw it and receivers who can catch it. So you you got to have those for starters. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're going to open against Alabama, <clears throat> you know, you better be ready to, uh, you know, stop the run and play physical. So, uh and, and do we, you know, see that path to having enough uh, defensive, you know, linemen? Up? No, I don't think we see it exactly yet. So, uh, yeah, I think that of all the, and, and we do see a lot of worries, and we can see people, you know, worrying a lot. Uh, 
that would be probably the first place to start. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure they're going to be taking a look at junior colleges, and in this case, you'd hope you get the you know the best kid in the country, and he comes in and plays like that. But you would think that has to be part of the part of the thinking going forward. And I still wonder with all the athletes and the big bodies they've got on offense right now, is the future for one of those guys on defense. And uh, you can take your pick and see which one you you think might might be suited for that. But you know, I know I have a you know a couple of guys that I think, wow, that kid could play defense. You know, quick, strong, low center of gravity, really good first step, good punch, all that kind of thing. That that would be USC hasn't done much of that, but that would be one of the things I'd be looking at this spring. For sure. And if you and people that if you can go to the front page of uscfootball.com and then scroll down a little bit on the left hand side, you'll see scholarship distribution chart. And that's what he's looking at. And specifically on the defensive line, there's five defensive ends list or four defensive ends listed and five defensive tackles. Uh, two of the defensive ends are seniors and neither of them played a ton. Uh, Greg uh, Townsend and Charles Burks. And then at defensive tackle, Antoine Woods, Cody Temple, Claude Palin and and Delvon Simmons, they're all seniors. Kenny Bigelow coming off the knee injury as a sophomore. And uh, so, they're, you know, at defensive end, they're, you know, redshirt freshman Malik Dorton and Don Hill. Um, but they had some recruits coming in, too. Christian Rector's, uh, you know, already he was visiting this past weekend. Uh, kind of more of a project. I expect him to redshirt his first year. But Noah Jefferson and Jacob Daniel, both impressive-looking defensive tackles that maybe – you know, six months ago, you wouldn't have thought that these guys could come in and, and contribute, but they both at the all-star games looked a lot better. And then of course, if they can get Rasheem Green from Sarah high school, a five-star defensive end too, that would, that would certainly help. So I think he's starting to address it, but yeah, there's a major concern after next year. So you bring in a couple big bodies this year, three or four more. And then certainly for the, the class of 2016, you have to do the same thing because there's a lot of those bigger defensive linemen guys moving on and you need to kind of replace them somehow. Yeah, and, and not to say that we've even talked to him about any of this, but, uh, but you know, I look at a guy like Vianney and I think, whoa, there's a, you know, there's a plugger nose guy or a Damien. Now, there's a plugger nose guy. I mean, you look at those guys and you think, where would they be better off playing for a long time in the NFL? And you do wonder if uh, there might be a way for one of them to end up on the other side of the ball. And, uh, you know, that's, and I, I mean, I think, you know, Khalil Rogers might also be there, you know, with the quickness and the punch, kind of low center of gravity. I mean, there are guys who aren't starting in that group, maybe only one of those three necessarily, or, you know, one or two. And then there's a Jordan Simmons. I mean, you've got some big, you know, athletic bodies, uh, in that offensive line group that, that I, again, I, you know, I'd, I'd really take a look at them and see if there's uh, more of a future for them and for USC if, uh, if one or two of them decided to, uh, to make the move. I always thought that they missed out on John Martinez. I thought John Martinez, strongest guy in the team, not quite, you know, just a little over 6'2", 310 pounds. I thought he would have been a great candidate with his quickness 
for a nose for a nose. And you know, once he wasn't starting, it just seemed like he'd really like like to have seen them go that that direction with him. But uh, but maybe we'll see. Maybe there'll be more of that. Go, you know, go on in the off season. All right, uh, we got one more question. And then we have a, a basketball question for you, Dan. I think one or two more. Here we go. But there's, we do have a basketball question, too. We'll get to that last. But um, it says, in the war room, it was stated that offensive linemen Vianney Talamiavo and, and Damian Mama were out there playing defensive back, trying to guard Juju Smith. So he's talking about one of these kind of quick workouts that Juju Smith was doing. Damian Mama and Vianney uh, came out there and, and were kind of goofing around, catching some passes and trying to have fun with the guys. There's probably like, eight players out there. It wasn't a big gathering, but uh, maybe 10, something like that. He said, this kind of thing always makes me cringe. Have we not learned from what happened the last time our linemen tried playing receiver defensive back? Remember Jordan Simmons? There are only bad things that can happen when 300-plus pound men start running and jumping around acting like they're half their weight. I feel the same way the last time Coach Orgeron used these so-called drills to make things more fun, and look what happened. It's all fun and games till someone blows out a knee. There's got to be a better, safer way. Someone has to bring this to Sark's attention and remind him uh, what happened to Jordan the last time the lineman fooled around like this. Please, thanks, Garrett in Seattle. I, I'm probably not going to agree with you. I, I have just, you know, watched uh, too many guys, uh, starting with Leonard Williams, that uh, you know love being out there and playing football and love running around. And it's a game where you, you know, you can't ensure them that there are no risks and uh i'll be honest if i see the the big 300 pounders running around with their moving their bodies i like that and i think that's a good thing and uh you know you don't want them being crazy you don't want them running one-on-ones and all that kind of thing but uh but but i'm not really that much against those guys running around and having fun and moving their bodies Uh, i think that's mostly a good thing you don't want to be crazy, but uh, and and I don't think you can say, oh, because it happened to Jordan, uh, that that that's the the norm. Uh, so I'm not I'm not as worried about that. I'm just happier that they're out there, yeah, and happier that they're part of this. And because a lot of the years we didn't see the linemen involved as much, and you know it was essentially seven on seven, and there wasn't a place you know for the linemen. So the very fact that they're out there, if I had to, you gave me that report and said, this is what's happening, good or bad, I'd say good. I'm glad they're there, glad they're running, glad they're having fun, glad they're part of with their, you know, with their teammates. So I would look at it uh, as a plus, as a positive. Yeah, you, you can't wrap these guys in bubble wrap. They're not, I mean, they have lives. This is not, you know, it's, football is a grind. It's uh, very difficult on these student athletes that, you know, going through school, going through practice and the meetings and and all that kind of stuff so if they're having fun i mean that's you're a college kid you want you don't want to take away any kind of fun and i don't think they were going out there endangering themselves could someone have got hurt sure but you can get hurt you're riding your skateboard or riding your bike or whatever i mean there's you can't put those kind of limitations in the nfl they'll they'll tell you you know in your contract you're not allowed to do this you're not allowed to do that and stuff like that but i don't think you can wrap these dudes in bubble wrap and just tell them to wait until spring practice starts before they do anything athletic. I mean, they're in the the gym playing basketball all the time. And, uh, I mean, you think you can – I mean, guys get hurt all the time just playing pickup basketball. I mean, so there's – I just don't think you can 
say that that having those guys having a good time out there during these little workouts is, is something you have to to avoid completely. No, no, they they. Uh, I, I think it's it's a real plus for the three hundred pound guys. Anything you get them doing athletically, moving moving their bodies, moving laterally, moving with quickness. I think that's all a plus. All a plus. All right, Dan, we'll, we'll end it on one uh, basketball question. It's a voicemail question for you, so let me play it and uh, get your thoughts. Here you go. Hi, this is Richard from uh, Toluca Lake. This is for Dan Weber. Uh, I'm probably the only USC basketball fan that calls in, but after watching the embarrassing loss to UCLA, I'm wondering what uh, you think of Coach Enfield in his second year. Um, I know they're young. I know they have a lot of good recruits, but uh, – no defense, poor shooting, uh, open shots that they miss, no defense at all, like I said. And their next four games, I don't know. I don't see them winning out any of them. I would like your comments, and if you think Enfield at this point is actually the answer to basketball's woes. Thanks very much. Take care. Bye. Yeah, um, it, it doesn't look great in terms of anything other than recruiting. The recruiting – uh, I mean, these two six ten kids that uh, that are coming in next year, uh, you really like that look. Uh, I'm not one of the people who says you can't do anything in terms of evaluating the coaches until year three. No, you, you can. You got to set. This is you know a tone of this is who we are and this is how we're playing. I still remember in covering Kentucky, Rick Pitino's first year. They went out and played a Kansas team that. And they they had been, you know, devastated by um, uh, all the NCAA stuff and had very few players left. And he wanted them to play a certain way. And they went out and they pressed and they ran and they pressed and they ran against a team that was so much better. They got beat 150 to 75 at Kansas. He didn't back off a bit. He said, this is who we are. This is how we're going to play. And by the next year, they were really good. So, and it happened, and they're mostly the same kids. They they became confident. They knew how they were going to play. Uh, they knew that what they were going to do on offense and on defense. The thing that worries me is I don't get I don't quite get the sense that this, you know, as young as this team is, and okay, they went with transfers to some extent last year. That didn't that didn't work. The older guys didn't work, even though they'd all played somewhere else. So many of them. Uh, Byron Wesley didn't work. Now he's playing on the number three team in the country in, in Gonzaga. Um, and now they're going with young kids who don't really seem to know how physical you have to be and how tough you have to be and where their shot is coming in the offense. And uh, and I don't quite see a personality yet. What is a USC band? I mean, with Florida Gulf Coast, with Andy uh, – you got a sense, okay, it wasn't very much because they, you know, they hadn't had a great year. They had a, a decent year, but they lost some, you know, to David Lipscomb and Mercer and people like that. But in the tournament, they looked like they had a personality. They looked like they knew who they were on offense and defense, and you really like that. But we haven't seen that. This is the second year. We still don't. You know, we're not seeing that, and I think we need to be able to start seeing that. This is what USC basketball is. This is how we win games. This is what we expect of our players. I mean, that that's not a great UCLA team. They should not have been able, you know, to dominate USC that way. I mean, Alfred, 
you know, as a sophomore, just like Julian Jacobs and, you know, Nicola. But, you know, Alfred looked like he could kind of get pretty much what he wanted. That shouldn't happen. I mean, that, that, you know, UCLA's talent isn't that, uh, that, that much greater than USC's talent. Uh, you know, little uh, edge. Norman Powell was a senior who can play. Uh, but uh, I, I thought that game shouldn't have ended up the way it did, especially at home, especially with a nice crowd, people excited, things like that. That's what you want for USC basketball. But how many of those people are going to come back for the rest of the Pac-12 season? Uh, that's the stuff we're not seeing. And uh, I think we need to see it fairly quickly. Basketball is not a sport where you, you get three years to turn things around. I don't think anymore. Uh, I mean, Kentucky, you know, they've got a – if USC is the fourth youngest team in college basketball, Kentucky's the fifth. You just have to – if you're going to go out and recruit – as they did the 12th, the number 12 recruiting class in the country for this year coming in, uh, you have to be able to coach up young kids. That's the way college basketball is. And uh, I think we have to start seeing that. And they can't have a uh, collapse in the uh, Pac-12 season like they did last year, where they basically just weren't even a possibility of of winning any of those games down the stretch. And I think that's really going to be important for Andy setting the tone. This is who we are. This is how we're going to play. We're going to play with toughness. We're going to know where our shots are coming out of the offense. I think that's one of the big problems with this team not shooting the ball so well. They don't seem to know where the shot's coming. And then it's like a surprise. And now you do have to make up a shot and shoot something that you're not really comfortable with. To me, that's coaching. That really is – that's what you do when you coach basketball is you get them prepared, you know, to be able to get the shot that you want, to know when it's coming, and to knock it down. And uh, we're not seeing that enough. So I don't have a good answer. I just have some questions like you do. <laughs> we'll see. And like Drop. most USC basketball fans do right now, Yeah. Uh, we've got questions. Although I, I, from everything I've seen on these two, uh, two incoming recruits, Timothy, uh, Timothy, and uh, Benny Boatwright, uh they look like the real deal. They've got some real skills, and they're both 6'10". So uh, we'll see. We will see. Dan dropping knowledge bombs on the USC basketball team. If you have any questions for us, again, podcast at uscfootball.com. It can even be about USC basketball. Um, so, Dan, thanks so much for coming on the show. Can't believe we're still getting this many questions during the off season, but yeah, keep sending them in. We love talking about this football team. We're getting ready for spring football now. Yes, we are. <laughs> Sweet. Yes, we are. <laughs> and you know, having something to shoot for. I mean, if, if they're including you in the top four, how much more can, excited should you be for this? You know, this off season. Yeah. This spring practice. I mean, doesn't get any better than that. I mean, you know, Ohio State. Barely made it in as number four. That worked out pretty well. Yeah. So USC <laughs> would take number four. And, you know, who's to say they can't win the Pac-12 next year? I mean, I wouldn't bet against them. Yeah. And you win the Pac-12, you probably got a shot. So you just have to make it happen. I mean, they've got a lot less work to do than Ohio State did uh, in terms of putting the team together. I mean, I see the negativity to some extent on the board. Of oh, there's not this and that on on defense, and this is going to be da da da. I mean, 
USC, you could be a lot more positive about USC right now than, than if you were a Ohio State fan in September, uh, the week after they lost to Virginia Tech at home. Uh, and they got it together. And uh, I think that's the challenge. If you're at USC uh, and you're coaching USC, your challenge is to be able to get it together as well as Ohio State got it together. That's where you ought to be measuring yourself against somebody like Ohio State. And now, you know, this is the chance. This is the chance to, you know, show the, the Pac-12 that USC's back. If USC's back in the Pac-12, they're going to be, you know, back. Maybe they'll – I think that's a lot of the thinking when they put USC in the top four is people, you know, like all those ESPN people that, you know, do college football are basically figuring USC's going to win the Pac-12. And they win the Pac-12, they're going to be in that top four. And I think that's how USC has to think about it. What do we have to do to win the Pac-12 and see where that takes us? That's true. That's the goal for next year. So we will see how it goes. And again, thanks for all the questions. Thank you, Dan. And thanks to Coach Harvey Hyde. We will talk to all of you guys next week. You've been listening to the Pear Style Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.